0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 8 this morning. As you're doing that, how many of you guys are uh, going through the 21 days of prayer and fasting with us? Nice, a few of you. So that's awesome. Uh, Friday night, we kick this off. So it's not too late to join us. We're only three days in. So if you're not doing it and you want to do it, grab a booklet. You can also um, grab it on the app. If you go under the app and you go to More, you'll see the 21 Days of Prayer uh, and Fasting booklet that you can just put on your phone and uh, you can read the devotions and just follow along with us. It's also posted on all our social media and stuff. But really the point of it is is that we would come together in unity and that we'd be seeking the Lord, uh, that we would be expectant of the Lord to move mightily in our midst. You know, when Daniel... Set aside 20, 21 days, three weeks of seeking the Lord for the purpose. listen to this, for the nation of Israel. It was because the nation had become place in, in Babylon. They were allowed to go back home, and many of them stayed in Babylon, and they went from, as I said on um, Friday night, they went from sheepkeepers to shopkeepers. They set up shop in, in Babylon, and they stayed there. And I wonder how complacent the church is in our culture today. And I wonder if we would, if God's people would just come together and begin to pray that God would move on our hearts. Not just our hearts, but the hearts of the church. That we would rise up and be the people that God is calling us to be. That's what this is all about, folks. Personal holiness. That God would take those things in our lives that don't belong and he would replace them with empowerment to live the life that he's calling us to live. And so much more. So I want to encourage you, man, if you're not part of it, that you would become part of it this morning and that you would join us for the next three Fridays as we gather together in this place, worship the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to move, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and uh, whatever else that he desires to do, sharing scriptures and encouraging each other and praying over each other. This is about uh, us seeking the God of the universe. And setting aside something, whatever that might be, whether it's your food or your uh, social media or whatever it is that you're going to fast from, and that you would take that time then to seek God. Not just set something apart and then just be like, okay, God, I'm going to offer that to you and not do it, not seek him during that time. Whatever time you would do those things is what you ought to then just be focusing on the Lord and seeking his face. So I encourage you to be part of this if you can be. Um, uh, is Gary Rupel here? I don't think he is. Gary is actually getting ready to go to Vietnam. I think I, uh, he was here for service, and I, he was going to come back. I was going to pray for him, but he's not here yet, so I'll, I'll bring him up at the end. But Gary is going to Vietnam, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Stand with me. Acts chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8. We have a special lady here with us, Marcella. It's her 89th birthday today, so praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Shout out to Marcella right here. So. uh Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 and Saul approved of his execution and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison now those who were scattered about went about preaching the word Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they had heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we ask you to come in might and power. And just help us to receive what it is that you desire to say to us, God. Make it so clear, God, that we can't miss it. And uh, we just invite you in this morning into the recesses of our heart, God. Clean house today, Lord. Draw us close to you, Father. If we've yet to bow the knee, may today be the day, God, where we make you the Lord of our life. And if we've been yet to be baptized in your spirit, may today also be the day that your spirit falls on us in the sense of empowerment. God, you know our needs this morning, and we look to you, and we ask you to come now and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the name Timothy Stackpole might not mean anything to you initially, but it will in a moment. Timothy was a New York firefighter who was severely injured in a Fifth Alarm fire in Brooklyn, On June 5th, 1998, two of his co-workers were killed. Many of his co-workers were injured due to a structural collapse. Timothy spent over two months in the burn center with fourth and fifth degree burns all over 40% of his body. He endured many surgeries and months of painful rehabilitation with two goals in mind that he would recover quickly so that he could spend time with his family and so that he could also return to his firefighter career. Against all odds, Timothy did that. On March 10th, 2001, Timmy returned to his firehouse as a lieutenant. On March uh, 10th or, or on I'm sorry, on Mar- uh, September 6th, 2001, he was promoted to captain. And on the morning of September 11th, 2001, Timothy was in the uh, New York Fire Department headquarters in Brooklyn when he heard about the planes crashing into uh, the, the World Trade Center towers. He ran to the scene. Upon arrival, he rushed into tower number two with the intent of saving as many people as he possibly could save. Sadly, Tower 2 collapsed and killed him. His wife, Tara stated that he was a hero not only because of how he died, but more importantly, because of how he lived. Timothy was a man of faith. It was said that he would often pray over his co-workers as they were in dangerous situations. And in fact, in that collapse, when he was burned severely, he was praying the Lord's Prayer over his co-workers during that time. Timothy may not have given his life uh, for the call of the gospel, but Timothy did give his life for the call that he believed that was upon his life, and that was to save as many people as he possibly could save. This morning, you have a call on your life if you're a believer, and it is the same call to save as many people as you can possibly save from damnation. You are Called as believers to go into the world and make disciples, to share Jesus Christ with people. That is the call for every believer in this place. We are saved and sent into the world for the sake of others. We're to be, we're we're to give our lives as a life of service to Jesus until he calls us home, and that service is to be his witnesses in a dying world. It's a, a burning building out there. I don't know if you know that. And we are the kind of people that are called to rush in, just as Timothy did, into a burning building to save as many as we can. Understand that it will cost you something to be faithful to the call. That's the title of my message this morning. It will cost you something. And for some, it will cost them their lives. may cost you this morning a relationship. may cost you a job. It may cost you your life, but it's worth it. To be faithful to the call that God has on your life. Jesus told us that it was going to cost us something. And in fact, he said, uh, you know, "Don't, don't let it overwhelm you when it happens. You're going to be persecuted. He said in John 15, 20, the servant isn't above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This was to be expected in the early church. And yet, for some reason in our culture today, it's a surprise when it happens. The early church was expectant on the persecution of the world. They were expectant on the fact that to be faithful to the call, it would cost them something. And yet, what we find them doing in Acts chapter 8 is being faithful to the call even after somebody's paid the price. Stephen, if you were with us last week, gave his life for the sake of the gospel. He laid down his life uh, you know, as a result of being a believer a Bible-believing believer who simply stated the facts in love, I believe, to a religious uh, leadership that hated Jesus. And as a result, he gave his life. And what we find here, and as, as that happens, is now we find a church that is unstoppable, committed, and faithful to the call of the gospel, and they are... Uh, Not cowering, but they are pressing in and moving forward. And what we find is that it happens in sort of an unusual way. It happens as a result of persecution. And yet they remain faithful. That persecution comes by the hand of one man by the name of Saul. The first thing we're to consider here is the believers scattered. If you're taking notes, the believers scattered. Look at verse 1 with me again. And Saul approved of his execution, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The believers were being scattered by the hand of a man named Saul. It says that after he had approved, literally, it it pleased him to kill Stephen. After he had approved the execution of Stephen, he went on a rampage in the church, imprisoning and killing Christians. Saul hated Christianity, much like many in our culture today. And thus, he was the right man to stamp out the movement of Christianity. He was commissioned by the chief priests to to go into the world and wreak havoc upon the church. Little did Saul know that it would backfire on him. In his effort to stamp out uh, the church in Christianity, Saul was used to further it. Notice, all believers, not just some, but all believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Now that should bring something to mind. should bring you back to Acts chapter 1 where Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is now the Lord utilizing the hand of Saul to fulfill the prophetic word of them going into Judea and Samaria. They're moving out of Jerusalem. Now, many people think like, well, the church wasn't being faithful, and so that's why this happened. I don't think so. I think they were being faithful. And in fact, the church is growing in Jerusalem. God is using this church mightily, and so much so that the enemy rises up through this man named Saul, and it pushes them outside of Jerusalem. All part of the plan. All part of the plan. Listen, if you're in a situation today, you feel the pressure of the world upon you, and you're going, you know, man, I don't understand this. I'm doing all the right things. Exactly. 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 That's why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And listen to this. God is in the middle of all of it, and he's using it. So you can rest in him. He's doing something great, and he wants to use you, man. He may be moving you to another circle of people so that the gospel can be preached. Do not mistake the things in your life, the, the issues that you're going through, um, as you know, simply just oppression, but look at them as opportunities to share the gospel with other people. That's the point. That's what we're called to. The church is now moving. They're scattered and they're being faithful to the call. Hey, you know, it's interesting that it was through persecution back in the early church that the church was scattered. And here two years ago, it was through the pandemic that people were scattered all over the United States. Amen? Listen, you're here this morning perhaps because you were scattered, because you were sent from a different land. And, uh, you know, here's what I want to say to you this morning. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't know. There's so many people who say, I don't know why I'm here in Tennessee. I know why you're here. Because the gospel has to go forward in middle Tennessee. And God has sent you here to Columbia, Tennessee to be his witnesses in in this place. Although this is called the Bible Belt, make no mistake about it. The gospel needs to go forward here. And I want to tell you, you're part of that plan. God has you here for a reason. Stay faithful to the call. Stay faithful to the call, Christian. Step into what it is that he's calling you to do. Don't just look at it as a a means of, well, self-preservation. It's not self-preservation. They're not worried about their self-preservation here. They're worried about being faithful to the call, and they're doing it. And they're spreading the gospel, and people are getting saved. They are scattered, and yet the apostles stayed. Now, you might know some people that did stay in California. Almost all of California has moved, but... Um, some of them are still there, but, but, but listen, God doesn't call everybody to do these things, but he does call many people to do these things. And here, all but the apostles left Jerusalem. Why? Because God has a plan for them, and he's called them to stay. This should, act, this should really beg the question in our hearts, you know, God, what are you doing in my life? And help me to walk according to your spirit, because you have a plan for me. The plan for Philip was different than the plan for Peter, Peter was called to stay in Jerusalem and to continue the gospel forward, but Philip was called out of Jerusalem to a place called Samaria. So we're not looking at what God is doing in somebody else's life. The question is, what is God doing in my life, and am I being faithful to the call? Uh, this young man named Saul then would, would go on a rant. He would be, he would, I, I believe, you know, definitely satanically influenced to stamp out the, the church To kill the seed of the woman that God promised would come to be the savior of the world. And here the Apostle Paul will be found fighting against God. And we'll see that next week. the Apostle Paul is on the way to Damascus to to persecute Christians. And what he will hear from Jesus himself is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Whatever is done to you as a believer in Christ is done to Jesus. And he takes that serious, folks. And and what we find here is him confronting Paul. Talk about the grace of God. Talk about the grace of God as somebody standing in a front to the gospel, not knowing any, any better. And yet it would be the Lord to, to enter into his life and reveal truth to him. That goes to show you that those people in your life that you think are so far away from God, God is not done with. And God is at work. And he, is, he will draw them the way that he will draw them. And Paul's Instance, he just confronts him directly. All the bleeders are scattered, but are being faithful to the call. Next, we find the gospel is preached. Look at verse 4. And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did... For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. What an amazing scene we have here where Philip went down. It's interesting. Jerusalem is up in elevation. That's why in the scriptures when it talks about Jerusalem going down, literally Samaria is 40, 40 miles north of Jerusalem. In our terms, he would have been going up, but you're descending from Jerusalem you're going down that's the idea he went down all of the saints went down and they were being faithful to the call they were not walking in fear they were walking by faith preaching the word as persecution is ramping up the idea of preaching the word is speaking about evangelism that's the that's really the focus of that to preach is the word evangelizo which means to proclaim the good news the gospel is going forward in spite of the efforts of Saul. Now, there's an important principle that I think is worth writing down here. And, and here's what it is. Whenever there's an Acts 8 1 in your life, expect an Acts 1 8. Whenever there's an Acts 8 1 in your life, expect an Acts 1 8. What, what does that mean? Whenever there's difficulty or persecution in your life, expect an empowerment from the Holy Spirit to get through it. That's what Acts 8.1, persecution of the church. Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit descending upon the, 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 um, the disciples to be a witness for the sake of the gospel. Whenever trouble comes upon believers, we can expect to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God shows up. When the enemy shows up, folks, God overcomes the enemy through the power of the Spirit within us. Expect that. Bank on that. Look for that when you're in difficult times. The biggest question becomes, will you walk in that empowerment that you've been given or will you attempt to preserve your life at all costs? Know this, Christian, that there is no greater opportunity to be a witness for Jesus than in your suffering. Your suffering becomes the spotlight in your life. More people are watching you when you're suffering than when you're doing well. I promise you that. Your microphone is louder in your difficult times than it is in your your mountaintop experiences. God wants to use those difficulties for his glory and honor. Will you let him? Will you rise up and will you be strengthened in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a witness unto Jesus at all cost, whatever it takes, Lord, I'm willing. Do whatever it is that you desire to do. Man, the spotlight is never greater than when we're going through a massive trial. The church is expanding and doing great things here, including their overcoming cultural barriers. Notice this, Philip. He's one of the seven faithful men. He's a devout man. He loves the Lord. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom. Uh, he, was, he was set as an overseer in the distribution as we saw earlier in, in, in Acts chapter six. He was one of those men. He was faithful to what the Lord wanted to do. And so God, because he was being faithful with the little things that he had been given, God gives him more. And now we find him being sent down to the city of Samaria, and he is proclaiming the gospel to them. Now, this is a cultural no-no if you're a Jew. Uh, Going to Samaria was sort of out of bounds for a Jew. the, The origin of the Samaritans, you might recall, 721 B.C., when the Assyrians came upon the ten tribes of Israel, which is the northern kingdoms, and overtook them. And then they took some of those uh, Israelites captive, and some of them stayed. Those who stayed intermarried with Gentiles and became the Samaritans. So the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They went out of their way to go around the Samarita, uh, uh, around Samaria, and they would not... uh, really have interactions with them. That's what blew the apostles' minds when they were with Jesus at the woman at the well. Jesus said, I have to go to Samaria. They're like, what? Samaria? You're going to Samaria? James and John wanted to call fire down on Samaria. Hey, guess what? Jesus says, no, I have to go there. Why did he have to go there? Because he had a divine appointment with a woman at the well. You recall Jesus was there with her and he told her all the things about her life and this was God opening the door for something that would happen later. This was Jesus explaining to the apostles at that time, his 12 disciples, listen, the gospel message is for everybody. You can't allow these cultural barriers to pull back from going into all the world. You have to go into all the world. Samaria was included in that. And so the Lord would go himself to be in demonstration. And his apostles didn't understand it. They didn't know They didn't understand any of that. And yet, here here we find Philip now in Samaria uh, doing the things that that Jesus would tell them that he was going to do. Uh, Miracles were happening through Philip. Incredible things. And the people were, were amazed by what Philip was doing and empowered by the Spirit of God. And a great awakening happens. A bunch of people start getting saved as the gospel goes forward. And notice what it says there. There is much joy in the city. There is much joy in the city. Why is there much joy in the the city? Because salvation has come. Hey, I wonder if you're here this morning and you've forgotten about the joy of your salvation. You know, we can't lose our joy unless we choose to give it away by the circumstances of our lives. I don't know when when the last time you've thanked the Lord for saving your soul, but maybe today is the day that you ought to reinitiate that into your life on a regular basis, and let the joy of your salvation rise up, Christian. You've been saved by the blood of the lamb, by his sacrifice on the cross, risen from the grave, so that you don't have to endure eternal damnation. Man, Glory to God in the highest. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. May we never get over that, folks. May that joy rise up in us on a continual basis. This city of Samaria was full of joy, and they were rejoicing uh, not only because salvation had come, but because they were part of the plan of redemption, and so are you. You might be here this morning, you might be thinking, you don't know what I've done. I I think I'm outside of God, but I'm just going through the motions religiously, just in hopes that God would include me. I want you to know this morning that God did include you, that God is calling you, that He did die for you. He wants to save you. The question is, will you let Him? Will you allow Him to be the Savior of life? He has to become your Lord before He can become your Savior. And we'll see that here in a minute. For the longest time, the Jews thought that the Samaritans were firewood for hell, folks. And here we find they're included in the plan. And what a joy uh, comes over them as a result. Not only do we find the believers scattered and the gospel preached, but now, listen, the magician moved. Look at verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Uh, He was amazed. So church history tells us that this is Simon Magus. Simon Magus. He's he is a magician. He really he's a famous shaman. In the first century, he was considered the father of Gnosticism, and the Gnosticism being the belief, really, ultimately, that God isn't of the material, that the material realm is evil, and that you have to seek God in mystical ways, which they're the only ones that know about it. You ever met somebody like that? Well, I'm the only one that knows this, but you need to come through me in order to get to God. That's the idea here. And the apostle Paul would spend his entire ministry fighting against this. And in fact, Gnosticism in the early church was prevalent. Simon is considered the father of Gnosticism. Simon was regarded as a god in Rome. And in fact, there was a statue of him there that was inscribed to Simon, the holy God. He He gained notoriety because of the things that he did. He amazed the people with his magic, whether that was a demonic activity or illusions—perhaps it was a little of both—but the people of Samaria were paying attention to him, and now comes along Philip. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel, the good news, to and many men and women. It says believe, and are baptized, and it says even Simon believed. Even Simon believed. Now the biggest question among scholars is: Does that mean Simon was saved? You know, and what we see here later is that he tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you know, the ability to lay hands on and give people the the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He tries to buy that from Peter, and he's rebuked greatly for it. But so many scholars believe that he wasn't saved, and in fact, uh, uh, extra biblical uh, writings of Simon Magus or Simon, some Simon, uh, the apostles would follow around in and would reject his teaching. Maybe it was a Simon, maybe it wasn't. That's really up for question. Here's the point. It's not about Simon and the story. The story is about the Holy Spirit, the authentic movement of God versus the demonic realm trying to mimic what the Holy Spirit does. Here's what I want you to know. There's a power from on high that comes from God that miracles can happen, but understand there is a power in this world at the same time that can mimic many of the things that we see. We see Janies and Jambries did a lot of the same miracles that Moses did when he came. Well, how did they do that? Empowered by the devil. But, but, but what, what you know, how do you know whether what the power, what the spirit is of, is by where it leads you. Where does that spirit lead you? The Holy Spirit will always lead you to Jesus, never to the feet of a man. If it ever leads you to the feet of somebody else, it is not the Lord. But if it always leads you to the feet of Jesus, then you can expect that's the Lord. Here we find Simon. He believes and he's amazed by what Philip is doing. And, uh, you know, whether or not he was a Christian, we don't know. Maybe you're here this morning asking the same question. How do I know if I'm a Christian? You know the best evidence of uh, being a real believer? It's a changed life. Has your life changed? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Have you been born again? Listen, if you're born again, you're not the same person. That's the idea. Uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You'll never get to heaven outside of being born again. When you're born again, the Spirit of God takes residence in your heart, and you will never be the same person. You're going to struggle. You're going to have issues. You're going to make mistakes and all of that for sure. But understand this, you're not the same. There's been a change in your heart. You have a desire for the Lord. You know, when people come and ask me, like, I'm really concerned about my salvation and I'm really, you know, I just, I'm worried about it, man, and, and all that kind of stuff. I go, you know what? That is a great sign. Because generally people that don't have salvation don't worry about it. They're not concerned about it at all. But when, you, when you're concerned about the spiritual things, when you're concerned about the Lord and these kinds of things, those are great signs that the Holy Spirit at, is at the very least at work in your life. You know, but in order to be born again, you have to bow your knee and receive the Lordship of Jesus Christ, folks. And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering, you gotta ask yourself that question, have I bowed my knee to the Lordship of Jesus? Simon sees the Holy Spirit working through Philip And he is, and it says he believes. He is moved. Next, we find the spirit received. Look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me, pray for me to the Lord, that none, nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to the to many villages of the Samaritans. So word gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Now they come to Samaria and they want to, uh, they've heard about uh, them, many of them receiving the word, but they have yet to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's the reality. They're saved already. They're not coming there to share the gospel with them. They're coming there to lay hands on them that the Holy Spirit would fall. They're trying to see, is this an authentic move of God? Has the Lord really come upon the hearts of these people? And how will we know? We'll know by way of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's there's two relationships a believer has with with the Holy Spirit. When we first believe on Jesus, as they did, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 tells us that that he is our guarantee for our inheritance. He is God's signet ring. He's God's stamp on you that you belong to him. And if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart today and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are the Lord's and your salvation is secure, I believe. But but the question becomes now: Well, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is this idea of that? It's Acts chapter one verse eight, when Jesus told his uh, disciples to go in Jerusalem and wait until the holy, until they're baptized in the Spirit of God. It can also be termed the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now the idea is that the Lord comes upon us, uh, the Spirit of God comes upon us for the purpose of empowerment to be a witness. And sometimes that happens at the first time somebody believes and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I'm a firm believer that it happens to people at times they don't even recognize it. They don't even understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has happened because we have this idea that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and just possess you and be like, where do I go now, Lord? You know, no, that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. Sometimes a baptism of the Holy Spirit is in the moment when you just start spitting Scripture and then you walk away and you're just like, dude, I didn't even know I knew that. <laughs> how amazing am I? And you know, you start patting yourself on the back and all this stuff. You know, you know how you do it. But uh, no, not really. But, but it's that kind of idea. It's an empowerment of the Spirit of God in your life to be a witness for Christ. And the apostles are coming to see if the Spirit will fall on these people so that He they can see whether they are genuinely saved, whether they have really received the Word or not. That was the evidence to them in that culture because that's what Jesus told them to look for, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now you gotta wonder as there is John and Peter and John are going down to, to Samaria if the words of Jesus aren't just echoing in their brain echoing in their brain, and th- these words specifically, when, remember when they were in Samaria before with Jesus, in John chapter four, Jesus said these words to his disciples. John four, 35 through 38. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. They're in Samaria. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life So the sower, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Who labored in Samaria before them? Jesus. Jesus went to Samaria. He labored in there. He sowed the seeds. And guess what? Now they're reaping the harvest. He's telling his disciples while they're there, You're coming back, and there's going to be a harvest here, not just here, but everywhere. And in fact, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What a sad statement from Jesus. you got to wonder if these things aren't going through their minds. and, And just remembering what they saw there, John goes on to say many Samaritans from that town believed in him, speaking of Jesus, because of the woman's testimony, and many more believed because of his word. And Jesus stayed there a couple days, and he spoke to these people. I wonder if they're thinking about that as they're going to Samaria. And uh, and interesting enough, this is the last time we hear the mention of the Apostle John in the book of Acts. John is no longer mentioned. It turns to Peter briefly, but then primarily the rest of the book of Acts will be the man named Saul who becomes Paul. Peter and John came down to pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. This is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if you're here this morning and you've never really received that or if you don't understand that, you've never really experienced that. Well, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that, to experience that. Uh, we're, We're going to, at the end of the service here, I'm going to invite you to come down and we're going to do what they did. Not as, um, you know, a formula of asking, but, but that, th- that we would just be in obedience to the Holy Spirit. The, lo- the Lord called me to do this this morning, and I'm going to encourage you, if you've never been baptized in the Spirit, that you come down and the elders will lay hands on you. And we're going to pray that God will do that. Why? Because we're Bible-believing Christians. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't think the Holy Spirit ceases from working in this culture today. He's the same Holy Spirit in the New Testament as he is now. He's still, we're in Acts 29, if you're wondering, and he's still about his mission of making Jesus famous in this world, and he wants to use us. If you've never been baptized in the Spirit of God, I want to invite you. And, and, and if you haven't ever been and you think that's weird, I invite you to stay. I, I know I, some people get all weird and they start to leave because they're like, Whoa, what's gonna happen? Listen, the building isn't gonna collapse. You know, we're not thinking fire's gonna come down from heaven and smoke's gonna start coming out. Listen, we're being obedient to the scripture. It doesn't necessarily tell us to do that, but it does tell us Jesus said. Uh, if, you gave, you, if you, being good fathers, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will the, whole, will the Father give you, the Holy Spirit, to those whom ask? So we're just going to do that this morning. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you this morning to come down, to allow the Lord the opportunity. And I'm not saying you're going to leave here, uh, you know, floating in the air. But I hope that you leave here empowered to do the work of the gospel. To, to go into the world and be a witness for Jesus. Hey, Simon Magnus sees this happen, sees them lay hands upon the believers there and watches the spirit fall. And he's like, dude, I want that. I want to have that gift. So he comes to Peter and he tries to buy the gift. And, and Peter's like, dude, you don't understand. And, and he says, may your silver perish with you. Peter rebukes him strongly. This is what is, is termed from this point on, Simony simony to a, to a, um a, to try and purchase an office in the church it's called simony hey thanks to simon he created his own term in the church it's called simony if you try and purchase uh a, you know an office in in the church peter tells him you need to repent dude and uh, and then peter operating the spirit of god in a word of knowledge says simon i see that you are in a gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, there is a time when the Holy Spirit allows another person operating in the Holy Spirit to see in your life. And that might frighten you. But I want you to know that the only reason God would do that is for the purpose of rescue. And the only reason God would do that is because you're not listening to Him in any other way that he's tried to get your attention. And so he's so gracious, man, to try and get our attention that the Lord would allow Peter, he could see the bitterness inside of him in operation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus could perceive people's thoughts. How was that? Because he was God? No, because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's God, but he was in the flesh. And he was walking in the same power that you and I have, the Holy Spirit, and he could perceive people's thoughts. That's the idea, the gifting of the spirit. What's the purpose of that? Always to exalt Christ. God doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't want to uh, bury you underneath his thumb. He wants to set you free. He wants to uh, give you life. He wants you to know that there is, a, there is a key to get you out of the prison that you're in. And sometimes it takes being confronted like this. Where, the, where somebody will come to you. I, I was in a situation one time where the Lord gave me this opportunity. Now you guys are gonna avoid me. You think it's like I have some special power. I don't. And you know that. But, but understand, I was in a situation, I was in a, a counseling situation with another believer and we were talking to this guy. And as we were talking, the Holy Spirit gave me, gave me the specific knowledge of what, what was going on in his life. And I just said, listen, here's what I think's going on. This is what I believe the Lord's sharing with me about you. And he was like, how did you know that? And I just said, listen, the Lord is trying to reach you. The only reason he shared that with me is because he's been trying to share this with you, but you won't listen. You won't listen. And he gave me words that were specific to this man. It's only happened once. So relax. But it did happen. And I want to tell you that God will do that because he loves us, and he wants to rescue us. And, and he says, Peter, Simon says, Peter, pray for me. Pray for me that nothing of what you said will come upon me. Seems genuine to me. Was he a believer or not? I don't know. Peter and John then return home. What are they doing? Preaching the gospel all the way. They are staying faithful to the call, folks. Philip now led by the Spirit from Samaria to the desert where he finds this Ethiopian eunuch converted. Look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, it's kind of interesting that Philip was involved in this great awakening that's happening in Samaria, and the Lord would call him to leave that place and to go. He's 40 miles north of Jerusalem, that he would go all the way south past Jerusalem, down to Gaza in the desert, close to Egypt, that he would go down there to reach this Ethiopian eunuch couldn't God send somebody else? Like, couldn't he have just materialized an angel and just send him? God doesn't always do the easy thing, folks. But he does care about people. And he sends Philip, the man who is obedient to the Spirit, from Samaria, this place that is exploding with people coming to Christ. A great awakening has happened and he tells him to leave that and go down here and minister to this guy. He doesn't even know why he's going. He's just led by the Spirit. He's, he, you're you're to called to go to the desert place. Hey, Jesus was called to go to the desert place one time. Remember what happened to him? He was tempted for 40 days. You got to wonder, Philip's going down to the desert going, uh-oh. Am he, is the Lord taking me behind the tool shed or what's going on here? He's empowered by the Holy Spirit and He's obedient to the Spirit. He's doing what God's calling him to do. Are you? When the Holy Spirit tells you, hey, I want you to leave that place. But Lord, I'm being so prosperous here. Look at me. I mean, I mean, the gospel's going forward, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I know, but but I want you to go here. Oh, that clearly can't be God. That's that's the advice we would give each other, because that's human advice. Oh, God's in that, he's not in this, isn't he? Here, he's in this, and he's calling him to leave to go. And yet, Philip, because he's empowered by the Spirit, he knows the voice of the Lord, and he listens, and he goes down, and he finds this, this Ethiopian eunuch who is a proselyte of of Judaism, who is converted, who came to Jerusalem to worship. He finds him there seeking out the scriptures. This man was apparently wealthy because only wealthy people would have scrolls of their own. He's, he's reading of all the scrolls in the world that he could be reading. He's reading Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 53. Read it later. Unbelievable. This is what we call a divine appointment, folks. And, and, and as he sees him there, we're gonna see in just a second that he will explain to him What has happened? Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before it's shearing. A shearer, it's silent. God had been working in this Ethiopian eunuch's heart the whole time. Perhaps he went to Jerusalem. He saw the sacrifices being given at the temple. And he said, is there something more to this? And then he's on his way home, and he's reading this this thing about a lamb that's going before the shearer and about, you know, the sacrifice given and all this kind of stuff. And then he finds this random dude in the desert that comes up to him and says, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? And he said, how can I? Unless somebody tells me. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Romans 10 talks about? How else will they hear unless somebody is sent? How else are they going to receive the gospel? How else is faith going to come to those who don't know unless God sends people? Oh, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good news to those who don't know it. Philip was a sight for sore eyes, folks. And the Lord was at work in this situation. And so he jumps up in the chariot and he just begins to share Jesus. The person that you're reading about, his name is Jesus. He gave his life on the cross not too long ago. And he rose again from the dead. He is the Messiah the one whom the Jews have been longing for and they miss, they're missing him. Well, everything that you see in Jerusalem, all the worship that's happening, it's all, it's all pointing to Jesus. And this man believes and he gives his life to the Lord right then and there. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. the gospel was preached. Listen, the eunuch believed and then he was baptized. That is the order in which it always goes in the New Testament. The gospel goes forward people believe, and then they're baptized. You don't get baptized until after you've believed. What is that to say? That you're not saved by baptism. Baptism is a a demonstration of your belief in Jesus. Romans chapter 6 talks about verses 3 and 4, being laid in the watery grave. Just like Jesus was laid in the grave, you're being laid into the water. You're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. And then, just like Jesus rose again from the dead as you're being brought back out of that watery grave, risen to newness of life, you're making a declaration that his resurrection now lives in me. And I believe in him. You're identifying with Jesus. It's simply a profession of your faith. Not the opposite. You don't get baptized and then you're saved. You get saved and then you're baptized. And I want to encourage you, you know, in the early church, they did this almost immediately after belief. When somebody believed they were baptized, even proselytes, when they came to, you know, convert to Judaism, they would, be, they would go in the mikvah and they would, they would baptize. They were baptized in the water to represent their belief in that, in that religion. And so if you've never been baptized and you're a believer here this morning, what's stopping you? Hey, guess what? We have a baptism coming up uh, August 6th. And you can be baptized. I want to encourage you, man. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. It's not going to save you, but if you're saved, you should be baptized. It's simply in obedience to Jesus, you know. And here, this Ethiopian eunuch, he sees water, and he goes, like, "Well, heck, let's get baptized right now." So Philip's like, "Yeah, let's do it." So they get out of the. Um, they go to the water and Philip brings him down. This is my favorite part of all of the Bible stories and, and accounts in Scripture. Philip brings him down out of the water, and as soon as he, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, lays him down. He, as he's risen back up, Philip's gone. He just, you're like, what the heck just happened? Where is he? He was like raptured out of the water to a place called Azotus. Like he's gone. Now, I'm praying August 6th when I lay somebody down, like I'm just, and I'm in Murfreesboro or something, like, and I'm preaching the gospel on the streets or something. How amazing would that be? Listen, we never see this in scripture again, but how awesome is this? This just goes to show you when you're faithful to the call, God does extraordinary things, folks. When you're faithful to the call, God does stuff out of the norm. He, he's, he's letting Philip know, I'm with you, man. And you just keep going forward. And Philip is encouraged. He's, he's, he, listen, he continues on. The minister continues, verse 40. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through. The, um, he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Philip was faithful to the call at all costs. Was there persecution happening? Yeah. Did he care? Nope. And in fact, he preached the gospel all the way up the coastline until he got to Caesarea. And when he got to Caesarea, you know what happened? He had four daughters, and they were all prophetesses. They, they, they served God. They served the Lord. They saw their dad. Their dad never stopped serving God. He, he continued to serve the Lord. He continued to be operating his gifting, and his daughters followed in his footsteps. Now, that is awesome. What an example of a father to their children to be faithful to the call at all cost until Jesus calls you home. This is what we're called to do, folks. Philip is an example of you and I today. Philip is one of those people that God wants to do. He started out just a believer in the church, and he just started out loving the Lord doing what he could probably in the, in the gatherings and whatever and just begin to, oftentimes you're already in the midst of serving the Lord when he calls you into service. You're already doing it. Just birthed out of your heart because you love the Lord. And he's, and he's doing these things and then before you know it, he's over the distribution and then the Lord uses him extraordinarily from that point on. As I said last week, if you're not faithful with the little things that the God has given you right now, don't expect more. Don't expect more. But when you are faithful, you can expect more. And look what happened to Philip. He was faithful, man. He continued the course. He didn't live off his past glory days, folks. And some of us are here. And, you know, the things that we bring up in conversation, are remember, you know, six years ago when I was over here doing this or that or whatever. And that's awesome. And I don't want to discount that. But I would say that if your conversation are always in the past, that you're probably not living in the present and you've are probably not you probably stopped being used by the Lord in some way, shape, or form. I want to encourage you today, don't do that. God has something for you today and he wants to use you today. And all you got to do is be faithful to him because he orchestrates, as we've seen in the scriptures, he does all this stuff. The Samaritans were primed and ready for the gospel to come. Jesus had done that. God is at work in the world in ways that we cannot see But he is looking for laborers to send into the fields because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. As we close this morning, I want to encourage you, be faithful to the call, Christian. Listen, we are, in a sense, Timothy Stackpole's running into burning buildings, trying to rescue as many people as we can. I want to take as many people to heaven with me as possible. And that's God's call on our life. Remain faithful to the Lord And be willing to risk your life at all cost for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And uh, God, we ask you right now, if we have been unfaithful to the call that you restore that in our hearts this morning. That there would be a fire lit within us that we would be willing to rush into burning buildings for the sake of the lost. Father, would you restore the joy of our salvation that would produce a feat and a fervor in our hearts, Lord, to be faithful, to share the gospel with as many people as we can, Father. Lord, we're here today, and maybe there are some this morning that aren't sure about, are confident about their salvation. But Lord, your word tells us that if we call upon your name, we can be saved that if we believe in the Lordship of Jesus and we bow our knee to you, believing that he died and rose again from the dead, that we can be saved. It's, it's not a complicated thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a result of surrender to our hearts. And so if you're here this morning and you have not received Jesus, I want to invite you right now, right where you are, to just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning with conviction in my heart that I need you I recognize that my sin is keeping me from you God and I turn away from that this morning I believe in you Jesus I believe in your death I believe in your resurrection and I receive you as my Lord this morning come be my Savior and then use me Lord however you will Jesus name and we know that anybody who prays a prayer like that in sincerity that all heaven rejoices over them because that is how we're reconciled to the God of the universe through his son and this morning Father we want to pray for and invite anyone who desires the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning to come forward and that we would just lay hands on them the elders of our church and that we would just be you know just in in some simple obedience to what we've seen in the scripture this morning. That we would allow your spirit room in our hearts to move in us, Lord. Give us the boldness to step up. I know the one thing that might move us from doing this, stop us from doing this, is a fear of man. God, will you wipe it out? Will you remove it right now? And will you allow us to operate in faith, believing, that as we come forward, Lord, that you're gonna meet us. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with us this morning? Kate is gonna sing a simple chorus. So will come to the altar, and as she does, I wanna invite you to come. And then after that, I'm gonna invite Gary to come up, and we're gonna pray over him. But for these next few minutes, I want to invite you to come down, come forward. We wanna lay hands on you, and we're just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come. The Father is faithful. And He will send His Spirit. So will you lead us in that chorus real quick? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.